0: The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IONS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. As we talked about last week, one of the religious parallels to the near-death experience is the path to the afterlife, as described in the Tibetan Book of the Dead. And like the NDE, the book describes the journey the soul takes and what it may encounter along the way. Well, our return guest today, Susan Griffith-Jones, has been studying the psychological implications for life in the Tibetan Book of the Dead and is uh, looking at new technology to present, present um, the contents of the book and what it means in, uh, in a deeply meaningful and uh, high-tech way. So, Susan, welcome back to NDE Radio.
1: Hi, and I hesitate to say good evening to you, Lee, because <laughs> as you, as we've uh, talked about on the show last week, I am actually talking to you from the Indian Himalayas, and it's 9.30 at night here, whereas over in eastern coast America, you're still having your probably second or third cup of coffee by now at 11 a.m.
0: Oh, at least my third <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: I, 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 I am addicted to coffee, so um, you know it's it, it, the technology is truly amazing. I'm hearing you more clearly than often uh, we talk to people in, in this country by phone. They've, uh, Dave connects with them by phone, and I Skype in, and, uh, and and the telephone system doesn't work nearly as well as Skyping. So here we are.
1: Absolutely, also, it sounds like you're right next door.
0: Well, I wish I were. <laughs> anyway, um, we had left off. We were talking about um, that moment or moments when the soul is confronting the light and is invited, basically it sounded like to me, into the light and yet doesn't go into the light, even though voices afterwards still give them a chance. Why would, uh, why would a soul opt not to join with God? What are the psychological reasons for that?
1: Oh wow, Lee, you're asking the million-dollar question here. I mean, I can only ask uh, answer that question with uh, what I've read or what I've heard from various literatures, uh, and deduce what uh, you, you know what I can logically in my from my frame of consciousness that I'm looking at it from, which is human being in human body. I can only answer the question from from that perspective, from that human perspective. And I suspect that this answer needs a perspective much, much more elevated than what I'm actually going to be able to give you. But uh, the Tibetan Book of the Dead does have some answers to that question because it says that if you are not practiced, in other words, if you have not habituated yourself to the sort of, uh, meditation experiences or rather, because we're not actually searching for experiences per se, but the, uh, the state of mind that you would be in or you would find yourself in when you go beyond the physical body at that point of death, uh, then if you're not habituated to that state of mind, then It may be that this state of light is so awe-inspiring that you actually flee away from it in terror because it's just too powerful. And I think that brings us to another point, and I don't want to go off tangent here, but I think this brings us to another point that uh, we do this to our own psychological self in life, that we are actually so powerful as beings each one of us has this potential to be so powerful that we also flee away from our own potential and this is as it's written in the Tibetan Book of the Dead is almost like an allegory for that psychology that we face in a very realistic day-to-day way
0: Mm. What would be the powerful enlightenment that we could experience in this life that that compares to uh, the light that we've been talking about?
1: Well, I think, again, from a, a day-to-day point of view, if we can retain that state of mind that is beyond the um, getting fixated into emotions or sensations, then um, that is what will protect us, naturally protect us from being touched by all the various moods, emotional states and uh, reactions that we as human beings are constantly, uh, uh, that's constantly occurring to us just by, without us even consciously doing it. I mean, somebody comes to you and and says something nasty and then you react. It's like, what the hell? What are you saying to me? You know, without even thinking. So with more conscious uh, awareness of how we are reacting and also managing our emotional states and allowing us allowing to ourselves to see that those emotions and sensations and feelings and reactions are only really coming out of that same space all the time they're rising and dissolving like waves in the ocean as is said in the texts mm. so um if we can go beyond those states of mind which will harm us and cause us suffering, then that in itself is almost like uh, a a state of mind. I don't want to call it enlightenment because I haven't got a clue what that really means. As in from my human consciousness point of view, I can only take the huge guesses at what it could possibly mean to be enlightened. But if we can spare ourselves the suffering of day-to-day and moment-by-moment conscious uh um kind of combating ourselves with our own conscious reactions then we're already in a very good space but it does take uh conscious awareness to to do that of retaining this this ability to see where we are at any moment of our uh, of our life, and I, you know, and I'm just talking about our day to day existence, going to the shops, or driving the car, or, or, or cooking a meal. Right. You know, all would, the time we've got these thoughts and emotions going on in our head. Susan, and, um, Susan would, you,
0: would you say that uh, karma then is our psychological condition, as opposed to uh, the collection of deeds and actions that we've done during our lives?
1: Sorry, did you say a cycle?
0: No. Would Would you say would you define karma as being a psychological condition oh, as
1: psychological, opposed right, right. you say cycle a psychological yeah,
0: condition psychological condition as opposed to um, just you know the things that we do the actions mm-hmm. that we that we do during our lives or is it a combination mm-hmm. of both?
1: Well, I mean, if you think of every type of feeling sensation or emotional thought as a kind of frequency let's bring it into scientific terms here if you think of it as a kind of frequency that you're emitting that is going to have a re- reaction back upon you that same whatever you are emitting is going to return to you um, then it, it's it, it's something which is so honest and cannot can never ever be cheated in that sense because whatever we give out is going to come back to us and we cannot ever um deny what comes back to us as something separate from what we have created ourselves and this is a big problem because we don't like to admit that we are at fault and that's understandable because of our sense of pride or our sense of uh of, of of not wanting to admit to our own faults um, but at the same time this uh uh reaction that we are receiving all the time is uh it, 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 we 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 try and, and and blame it on somebody else so then we become victims but that at the same time is also we're digging digging our own hole we're digging our own um suffering by Analyzing what is actually our own result, the result of our own actions, as um, you, you, you know, whereas we're we're now it's, it's, the, it's like the opposite end of ego, the, mm-hmm. the state of victimization. I, I, it's not my fault. Somebody else did it to me. Poor me. Poor me. Poor me. Mm. But whereas you know, taking responsibility for our emotional state or our feelings, our sensations, then we say this is my responsibility. I am creating this. I am emanating this frequency or these various frequencies out into the um, out into the space around me. And uh, whatever I'm emanating out there is going to return to me from this giant mirror <laughs> that is uh, is my is is placed around me a mirror in the sense that uh, whatever I'm putting into that uh, in, into my world so the people and characters around me the environment around me is going to reflect that back to me and you know we, we we do it automatically to each other it's not like we contrive to say oh no that person's acting like this today I have to do that you know because it's on such an energetic level, then it's always going to come back to us. And in fact, the Tibetan Book of the Dead talks about this in its uh, in its appraisal of samsara, samsara meaning the world within which we are caught by our illusion, illusionary perception of the world being something solid and tangible and something that's really existing outside of uh, our own perception of it. We are overlaying onto almost a, a blank sheet of, uh, of, of paper. We are overlaying our own perception of it and creating an entire real, reality out of it. Whereby if we stand back, as the Tibetan Book of the Dead tells us, if we stand outside of these six realms, that it divides this whole, um, this whole region of samsara, which is, uh, basically an allegory for all our emotional states, then uh, we can retain this more, I hesitate to use the word neutral state of mind because it's not a nothing state of mind, which is a state of mind which is fully aware of its position within the space that it's occupying and is no longer uh, grasping or fixating to any particular aspect of it. And therefore it can move through it very, very smoothly. Without uh, having the, without getting the suffering that it would, that when I say it, I mean consciousness, that it would experience if it were looking at it like something really out to get it, and that Mm. comes back to the victimization again, the the, the feeling that somebody else is to blame for all your all your problems. Right. I know I I, I was getting a little bit esoteric there, but it was (laughs) really. Only way to
0: describe it. <laughs> when you talk about the six, there are six paths through the bardo. Are they separate paths or, or do we travel, do we have the capacity to travel them all simultaneously?
1: Mm, it's a very good question. The six realms, per se, rather than paths, are like air, zones within our own mind that are created by a emotional states that fit almost like within that bandwidth of frequency so there are six realms first uh, the highest realm of those six realms is the god's realm and that doesn't mean you know a bunch of gods sitting around like um you know deities in the sky on fluffy clouds this is a state of mind that we experience when we're in intense pride or we're in intense self-absorption or we're in a kind of state where we think we've you know we're 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 beyond everything else i mean it, it, we, a lot of spiritual practitioners can easily fall into the god's realm because this i there's this idea of really blissed out state that um but still you see that's a there's a fixation there's a fixation on that blissed out state so it's not beyond The next uh, layer or the next level down would be the demigod realm. Now, the demigods, they're very competitive and jealous, and actually they'd like to be in the position of the gods, but they're not quite there. So there's always this kind of aggression and fight and competitive idea of competitiveness then the human realm which is passion and desire and also you know this uh suffering of change we don't like to change we 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 do change uh but we get habitually used to these cycles of situations when we become very comfortable and there's a false sense of security um then we desire we have a lot of passion a lot of desire um but we have become a human because we've also got very good qualities we've uh developed a Patience, a level of patience and compassion, That uh, and this is an energetic frequency that we would have had to have had in order to be able to match with the frequency of a human physical body, if you see what I mean. Mm -hmm. Then there's the animal realm, which is largely dominated by paranoia, fear, ignorance. And the hungry ghost realm, which is largely dominated by miserliness and greed. You've got this image in the Tibetan Book of the Dead of these hungry ghosts with enormous heads and huge, huge mouths. And then these tiny, thin, 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 thin little throats and and pipe down to the stomach. And then these like huge, 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 huge pipes. Um, sorry, the... Um, The mouths are very, very small and the stomachs are very, 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 very large. So, you know, they're trying, they want to, they want all these, uh, all these things. They're desperately searching, hungry, hungry for anything and everything. Even when they get it, they can't consume it because the mouth is so small and the pipe down to the stomach is so small. But the stomach is so huge that it's still kind of yearning for all these, uh, all these things all these uh, um i mean there's a kind of allegory of the of the of the food but it's like it could pertain to anything but then when they have it they also don't want to share any of it they want to keep it all for themselves so there's a sense of miserliness and greed then there's the hell realms and the hell realms are dominated by anger and hatred and misery and again not all the beings in the hell realms are bad as such and, and, and when you're in a hell realm state of my mind, you're not a bad person as such. It's not like you're a murderer or thinking really uh, nasty deeds, but you're in this sense of real miserable It's uh, sort of soaked in in misery and, and and it's almost like a state of depression as well There's just no more uh confidence or no more energy for 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 living in that sense so each of these six realms, which have amazing visual uh, con- content, uh, they're described in a, in, in a way that's, y- y- you know, you could, can really go to town with if you're doing a, a multimedia exposure of it, which is what I'm doing because there's so much allegory and imagery that's really very, very pertinent and means, um, um that gives off a very, very uh, good and correct meaning to what it's trying to say. So these are the six realms. Then you've also got the bardos, and last week I mentioned the various bardos, and the bardos really show the cycle of our existence from being in the bardo of life and through the various bardos after death, dying and after death, and then being reborn again. Um, six bardos are mentioned in particular, and these bardo uh, states are occurring within uh, uh not as a linear uh, progression like it would seem if you were to read the tibetan book of the dead a to z but they are also occurring at any moment in our in, in our day-to-day life um, for example uh, actually it's a really really good allegory of our thoughts as well a thought is born that's the Bardo of becoming. A thought stays a while. That's the bardo of life. A thought dies. That's the bardo of dying. Then, in between one thought and another thought, there's a a series of microsecond things that happen in our mind, which we never see because it just flashes by far too fast. Which are these visualizations of these we we talked about before last week—the peaceful and wrathful deities and the clear light—and if we are able, and this is what we habituate ourselves to doing when we're in the meditation of the Tibetan Book of the Dead, is to try and see this progression of consciousness into a thought, how it stays, remains a while, how it dissolves, and then to try and not and, and, and see the space between the last thought dissolving and the next thought arising and that those bardo states in between the thought dying and the new thought arising is described in so much detail in the tibetan book of the dead as the period between death and birth so you see it depends on which level we actually uh, perceive the tibetan book of the dead it's a, it's uh, pointing to our conscious situation now in this moment it's also pointing to this very A to Z linear process of our existence. So, and, and other things too. I mean, I'm only citing several examples here. So you see, as we go into the book in more detail and as we read it again and again, we start to notice all these different symbols and connections it has with our moment-by-moment, day-to-day existence. And this is really what I want to show in my multimedia projects of the Tibetan Book of the Dead. I'm not so interested in just showing an A-to-Z linear process of our existence. I mean, that may come into it in one way, but I'm more keen in getting people to immersively experience themselves in this moment of now and the psychological process that is occurring, uh, whether it be through showing biofeedback in the brain or heart rate variability or pulse rate or that there are various other ways. I mean, there's even, um, we can get into, uh, some more debatable Um, ways of uh, for example measuring the aura or or other things but a lot of people are very interested in this and they like to see how their entire bio state is and um, to be able to experience where they are in their reality in this moment and how that uh how that is uh affecting their own their own existence
0: so the technology that you're envisioning is this a personal experience it's not like an audience experience where people go to a movie and 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 see something that tells them about the book of the dead this is something that's going to um, take it's a one-on-one uh event as you for, as you see it at the mo- well
1: I have like I said I've got various uh, various different projects in mind but one of the projects that I do have in mind is this very immersive uh experience where people will be able to see from their own biofeedback their own personal situation within a, a setting that could be a virtual reality experience or even um could be a Contrived environment, like a, a space of a a, a room which has certain items set up in a certain way, and um, that they would experience their own reaction and their own consciousness as they 're moving through whether it be a virtual reality experience or as i said this uh, um, this environment which would provoke certain reactions and then see moment by moment. Their reactions and how their consciousness is 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 in that moment, according to um, the environment that they're in, and how, how then they can see how they personally perceive this, or it may be unexpected to them how how so how certain reactions will will come back at them. Um, I believe that an immersive experience is much more powerful than just seeing something even a, a 3D film which could be uh, going on around you in a 360 degree manner still there's a sense of that there, there, there is an immersive experience in that sense but there is a sense of being removed from that if you are yourself in an environment and have having your own feedback uh, measured and at the same time being able to um being able to experience how that is again fed back into the environment so it becomes like a loop so you react to the environment you see how you re- you are reacting to the environment and that feeds your own feedback back into the environment so you have to you continuously combating your own feedback, if you sort what of I mean. It's like a loop.
0: You know, it it sounds to me like uh now you studied with uh Buddhist masters for many years. It sounds almost like a technological Buddhist master.
1: Wow. That would be um I mean that would really be something amazing to have as in a person who could do that for you. But as with uh, any kind of self-development or spiritual progress the only person who can really <clears throat> excuse me who can really help us is ourselves i mean we can get guidance on the path but ultimately the only person who can really uh really advance themselves on the path is uh, is through your own endeavors and i think this is also really important to point out because we Spend so much time in denial of our own faults by blaming others and but then, on the other hand, we become victims, which also keeps us in a certain um, certain frequency of uh, our energetic frequency is very um, very base level when we're when we're victims we can never come out of uh, come, come out of, of that state. And so we, we really, really need to be honest. We really, really need to look in, in, in the mirror. And what I want to create is something that causes us to do that. And at the same, without being nasty, say, Hey, look at who you are. You're so bad. I mean, not like that. Not at all. It's, it's not, not for that kind of, um, that kind of result. It's really to say, you know, Actually, to see how marvelous you are. You know, you may have thought that you you didn't have this kind of capacity, but look at the capacity that you do have. So it's almost like on the other uh, Buddha's on the other foot. It's like saying to people, uh, you know, you have all this wonderful equipment: your mind and your uh, human body, which together, when when your mind and your body come together, uh, you have this. Potential to, to experience what it is to really firstly be a human being and also to go beyond that state, uh, which is described in various spiritual texts, uh, including the Tibetan Book of the Dead. In the, in the case of the Tibetan Book of the Dead, it's, uh, it's called the Clear Light Experience, which, uh, as we mentioned last week, it's described as if it were a child leaping into his or her mother's arms. I mean, there's that level of familiarity. So we know this state of mind and we understand what it is when we meet it. So coming back to your original question of why would anybody run away from this beautiful state of mind? And I'll repeat what I said in the beginning is because ultimately we are too afraid to be the wonderful being that we actually are. And therefore, being afraid of our own power, we run away from it and we hide in uh in, in, in these little spaces of, of victim or um emotion or this and that, which keeps us entrapped inside this cycle that uh we don't get released from until we see see it for what it really, really is.
0: Do you think and, like- Do you think when your technology is perfected that you could prepare people to not be afraid of the light but to go into the light at their death? Uh,
1: That would be incredible and I would wish that technology would be able to simulate that. But in order to simulate it, you see, technology doesn't have its own capacity. We as humans have to code the technology so we can only code what we know. And to code something like a clear light state would be, um, I, I don't want to say it's impossible, but I, I just don't see how it could be possible to know that state and for human beings to be able to actually uh, put that state into a technological device. I think the best it will do and and this would be incredible if we could get this far, would be to provoke people to realize that they have this and to actually show how close it is to our everyday moment-by-moment experience and that it's quite possible to stay out of this uh, realm of suffering through seeing through. The illusion of what our emotions, feelings, sensations really are, that they are there, but also where are they coming from? They're, they're coming ultimately from this, from in and out of this beautiful space. So again, it's kind of habit, it's habituating yourself to, to seeing your own, um, existence as that rather than, um, you know, this c- collection of, uh, gross material, um, Things and experiences that we have to have in life, which we can have as well. I'm not denying that. I'm saying let's have everything, but let's see what it, let, let's see it for what, what it really is so that it That's doesn't it. harm us. Exactly. Otherwise it's going to come and bite us and sting us.
0: Yeah. So Su- this, Susan,
1: this would be, this would be a great end.
0: Susan, I'm sorry to say that we are out of time again.
1: Oh uh, my goodness. Really, that went by at a, at
0: a, so, <laughs> so fast. Please uh tell people uh how to find your website.
1: Uh, yeah, all my books and my films, my writings and events and other things that I've uh, taken part in are all to be found on my website, which is www.pyramidkey.com, as in pyramid, Egypt, Mexican pyramids, key as in key to the door. So regular pyramid key, pyramidkey.com, that's it. Thank-
0: Thank you so much for for doing this. This has been fascinating. If listeners would like to hear the show again or any of our past shows, and I would urge you to go back and listen to the, our first uh, interview last week with Susan, go to our website at nderadio.org and hit the Past Shows button. For information about IONS, go to their website at org and be with us again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more uh NDE Radio. This is your host, Lee Whitting, saying...